Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. It's season three, and we've got so many wonderful conversations and creators of all kinds to share with you. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop you. At age 17, Emily Furman moved to Nashville to attend Belmont University. She graduated in May 2009 with a BBA in music business and in July of 2009 was hired at Carnival Music, where she spent over 11 years working in publishing and artist development, working closely with Haley Witters, Brent Cobb, Scooter Caruso, Troy Jones, and more. In 2021, Furman was hired as Senior Director of Creative at Creative Nation, where she helps songwriters and artists develop their distinct sounds, which entails everything from identifying core strengths to connecting with the right collaborators. Her current roster includes Luke Laird, Laurie McKenna, Barry Dean, Cassie Ashton, and more. Still in awe of the grit of watching a song she's helped champion go from a small writer's room to the masses, Emily is passionate about putting people together who will make the best music possible. We are so excited to welcome Emily Furman. All right, we have Emily Furman with us today. We're super, super excited. She took some time out of her morning um, because Emily, we heard about you from a friend of ours that reached out and um, we're so glad we did because you were really excited and gave us so many topics that you are super passionate about which for us is really amazing in a guest because it just shows that we're going to have an amazing conversation um so can we for the people who aren't familiar with you and what you do they've heard a little bit of your bio but can you give us a breakdown of you know who you are and how you got into the industry and what your journey up until now has looked like yeah yeah for sure um so i grew up in upstate new york in a family um of not musical people very real job people um and it was kind of I, getting to the point where i needed to figure out what i where i wanted to go to college and what i wanted to do with my life and i was just going through all of the real jobs and I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, and at the time I was really falling in love with songwriters and songs. And it, in those days there were liner notes and like on Friday nights, I didn't care about the parties. I didn't care about any, I would like lay on my floor and read the liner notes. Um, and specifically there were two albums, um, The Chicks, Wide Open Spaces and Patty Loveless, When Fallen Angels Fly. Oh, two of my favorites. Oh. Yes. Right. Yes. That like, just like, I, I, I just fell in love with and I, I just wanted to know who wrote them and who played on them and who produced them. And I, uh, I uh, through a friend's, uh, my sister's friend's cousin or something like that, um, they were telling me and my mom about Belmont and that they have a music business program. And I was like, hmm, maybe I'm interested in that. So we went to check it out. And I also went to uh, check out a political science school because I thought maybe I wanted to do that too. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> the opposite thing. And yes, <laughs> yep, yep. Thought I wanted to like buy the the cute suits. I think I was more into that and like look like a powerful woman. And then like in reality, I was like, yeah, nope, not that. Um, and I just like fell in love with the idea that I could take classes and learn about the music industry um, and and get involved that way. 
Um, so honestly, the first few years of school, I went to tons of shows like that. That was our entertainment in college. We, I fell in love with songwriters there at the time. I didn't, and I don't know if, if it's different now because it's post COVID or because I just go out less than I did when I was in college. Um, by the time it just felt like there were tons of venues. There's, there were writer nights all the time. Like you could go anywhere and see like really good rounds. And so that's what we did. And I just got to learn songwriters, um, by doing that. And then, when I was kind of getting to be an upperclassman and it was time to intern, um, I went to a, one specific show that had ended up having um, Bruce Robinson and Jed Hughes and um, Scooter Caruso play, uh, uh, Natalie Hemby, and just a lot of really strong writers. I was like, dude, this is awesome. And then I find out it's like Carnival Music Night, and it's, there's this one company that represented all these songwriters. I was like, that's where I want to intern. And so I just kind of hounded them and um, um, ended up interning for them um, for two semesters and then interned at Q Prime uh, Management for another semester and really loved what they did, very similar very similar values in both companies. Um, and then ultimately, when um, I graduated, about two months after I graduated, there was a shift at Carnival Music, and um, they could work me in as an office manager. So that was kind of my my journey to my first job. Um, and I didn't know anything except I lo- or anyone except I loved songs and songwriters. And they're like, cool, that's all it takes. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> wow. And was there, a, was there a big learning curve for you at first when you started off at Carnival? Or did it feel like just you were made to be there and it worked great? Yeah, I think I was made to be there. But also, like, I, I'm grateful for for where I started. I, I think being an office manager at a small company, you kind of do, you're able to do more than perhaps at a larger company. So I got to listen to all the songs that came in and they knew that like, ultimately I wanted to be a creative. Um, so slowly I got to like give them ideas. And then I was kind of half office managing, half pitching songs. Um, so I think it just really allowed me to, get to know people and observe you like literally sit at carnival in the middle of the office. So like you listen to everything. So it gave me the opportunity to really like observe and listen and get to know people and how things work and then be able to dive in. Mm, That's super valuable fly on the wall thing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It sounds so similar. We've had Courtney Gregg on the podcast um, Mm -hmm. in our last season. And yes, I listened to her. I love that you were there for, do I have it right? 11 years. And Mm -hmm. that is, we've talked so much about the fact that the music industry is very up and down. And a lot of times people don't stay places or at certain jobs or in certain areas more than a couple of years. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that your experience sounds to be quite similar to hers. And I think that speaks Mm -hmm. a lot about the culture and the writers and everything. And it sounds like you, you just gained so much by being at that kind of office at that time. And it makes me really curious as to um, what the differences are now that you're at Creative Nation. Obviously, it's, you know, everyone's evolving and going on to the next thing. But what was the new challenge that you were really excited about? And how are things different for you in this new position? And how did you connect with Creative Nation, too, in the first place? Yeah, yeah, I guess I can start there. Um, So I had been at Carnival for 
over 11 years and I loved it. And, and the, the, the cool thing about Carnival is that it's all in the leadership and the talent. Um, but every time I feel like you hit a ceiling at Carnival, Frank is awesome and just such a great leader. And he's like, okay, like what can, you know, like, where do you want to go? Like, I have this idea that like we should sign this or, and he's like all ears, which I feel like in a lot of other jobs, you kind of hit the ceiling and you have to move on to the next job. So Frank is really just, you know, just values his employees and their opinions. Um, that said, I I saw Beth post about the opening at Creative Nation. Um, I guess it was fall of 2020. And a part of me felt like I, I there's not a ton of places I would have left Carnival to go. They have a really unique culture and um, set of values. I think like the biggest factor that made me excited about them was just a new set of writers and writers a lot of writers that I really liked and respected and some young writers I didn't know but really believed in and thought that I could bring something to the table um so that was and then the culture again is really similar they have a a really close-knit culture um they were back in the office every day which again it was like kind of during a strange part of COVID, but small office. Um, it was just nice to be around people. And especially when starting a new job, bouncing ideas and, and learning people, writers and learning your coworkers' tendencies and that kind of thing. It just felt really exciting to me. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a really strong woman at the helm of things. And here we talk a lot about champions for us as we come up in the industry and especially women helping other women. What has that looked like for you? And what does that look like for you now that you're a little bit settled in and you kind of know these new people? Yeah. Yeah. Beth is Awesome. And and coming from having Frank as a boss, I was very picky about what I wanted because I knew how much Frank valued um, his employees and, and like the freedom he let us have and how just our ideas were heard. Um, and, and Beth is the exact same way. Um, so having her has been awesome. Um, she... Uh, The structure of Creative Nation is really cool. Um, She really emphasized that she wanted me in a leadership role um, and to have other pluggers, I hate to even say this, but who are under me, who are on our team, um, who I can help mentor as well. Um, And she, yeah, she just really builds me up, creates opportunity. She also is just a great business person. So learning from her in that sense, it's hard in a small business to be super organized, but we, that is something Creative Nation is immaculate at. Um, We have a person, at first I started, I admittedly was like, why are there so many staff members at such a small company? But she, there is a person for everything. And I literally do nothing but creative. I do calendars, I pitch songs, I develop songwriters, I get to do all things creative and nothing else. And she finds people to do the other things who are really passionate about all the other things, because as we know, there's a lot behind the scenes in in um, this industry. So I really respect her for that, too. And yeah, just all things she's she's building me up and um, feels like she's really like wants me to get to the next level. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that and her leadership. Yeah, you you mentioned developing songwriters, and you've had a chance to be involved in a lot of different uh, journeys for songwriters along the way. Can you talk a little bit about 
uh, your role in developing songwriters and in developing artists? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the year I started at Carnival, we signed, uh, like, two months later, we signed Brent Cobb, um, who has had a really um, awesome career. Um, and in 2012, we signed Haley Witters. Um, so I worked really closely with both of them as writers and artists. Um, Brent a little more as a writer, Haley all in on the artist. Um, and I love, I, I really fell in love with that. Um, it's, it's an all encompassing job. I mean, I, it, it's everything from booking shows at that, at the time to, um, what font do you want your logo to be to, you know, but what I really fell in love with and what I'm thankful I get to just focus on at Creative Nation is the songwriter side of artist development. Okay. Like we need this kind of songs or this is what's really, this is what is really firing you up and the direction you feel like you need to go in. Okay. What songwriters do I know that you should get together with or who should you be meeting? And, you know, um, just getting to be really creative in that way and come up with ideas and learn about artists goals and passions and help them get down the road um, is really rewarding and, and, and something I love. I don't think people always realize how difficult it can be um, when you're working with a songwriter who, you know, typically songwriters write all sorts of different kinds of, of songs. Um, and when you're trying to zoom in on what works best for them and what is their sweet spot, um, what makes them special as a songwriter. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you, how you find that for somebody? Yeah, for sure. It definitely, it takes a couple of years. It's a, it's a, as y'all have probably heard, I believe it's a 10 year town. It's not always that for everyone, but I, and sometimes it can be frustrating, um, the, the journey and how long, but I think to have artists that last and have longevity and mean something in the end game, um, it's, it's a long road. Um, so I think it takes a couple years most, and sometimes more than that, sometimes a little less than that, but for them to really write, you, you oftentimes start at the bottom and work your way. You find your people. Um, do you meet with them pretty regularly? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So at creative nation, what's cool about what we do, um, we meet with them at the end of every year and they they fill out a goal sheet for the following year. So who do I want to write with? Um, who, what are, what artist albums could I, what do I want to target? Who are some new people that sound interesting to me? So we get to work off that for the year um, and then bring our own ideas into it too. Like, okay, you're really liking this kind of writer. You should also, you would like this person too. So we get to stretch them a little bit, but it really like, keeps us organized and helps us to know every, you know, every writer is different. Sometimes their goals look super different and, and we don't want to have a one size fits all for every writer and artist that we work with. So like some years, our artist writers are very artist heavy. And for instance, Steve Mokler this year is putting out a record. So he's doing a lot for himself this year, but maybe next year he might do be doing a lot for pitching. So we just want to make sure that their goals um, are, are what we're working for. Yeah. And it, it's so, I always think it's so funny. It, always reminds me of you know like 
like a mom setting up play dates for her kids. And it's, you know, when you (laughs) first sign a new writer, it's like, okay, here's kindergarten. Did you meet anybody you like today? And do you think you want another play date? And it sounds so, so funny. Who would be a good influence? Exactly. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They have older siblings, so maybe they could, you know what I mean? And you think about it like that, but then it's also really you form these friendships and these crews that take you through the rest of your quote unquote life, your career life and your actual life because you become friends and family with these people. So it's your role is actually very integral to the entire success of the company and people's careers. And it's so wonderful to have someone in that role that's really excited and passionate about it because we've all seen people in every role possible that just like are not stoked about their job, but they do it. Um, And that really makes all of the difference. And it makes me wonder what you have seen for yourself and on behalf of the people you work with in general in terms of if you see any differences between women and men in the industry, because you get to work with so many different people and so many different sides of everything, do you see any differences when it comes to gender or have you and your people been pretty fortunate? Yeah. So in terms of like the boys club and pitching songs, there's definitely, it definitely exists and you see relationships that I'm never going to have as a woman. I, I'm married and I have a two-year-old and a and a point five a babe in my oven in the oven and um, I, I'm not gonna I feel like there are relationships you make when you're out like drinking with your buddies that I'm not gonna have. Um, that said, I I think something that's really helped me a lot. I grew up in um, a family. Uh, my mom, her side of the family were rural farmers. My dad's from Brooklyn and they are very loud Italian New Yorkers. So I've learned to just be a people person. Um, and so that's helped me in the sense that I kind of, I do my research on these people. And when I do have meetings with them, I think like, okay, this guy is really super into sports. Like what can I, the, the Titans play this weekend, like something to talk about there. Um, this, this producer is, in his 60s and I'm in maybe at the time my 20s now my 30s like what are we he produced uh you know Tracy Lawrence record and whatever that I loved let's like start off the conversation talking about that so I think that like there are ways to have conversations with these people and bridging the gap bridging the gap make yourself stand out um and and that said also I think at the end of the day the ones who matter and can actually get things done, care about great music over anything. So if you have great music and great songs to bring to the table, um, it it might take some extra effort, um, which is unfortunate, but like at the end of the day, it's going to speak for itself. Um, So you use that to your benefit. Yeah, you find points of commonality and then you kind of go from there and also you work with so many people but it's not like you necessarily see every single person every day we now our creative team is all women so it's it's kind of like if you want to hear a luke laird song you're gonna have to meet with a woman you know so you know what you're gonna get or whatever (laughs) yeah so like i think because the music stands out because of our i think building a reputation too because I have one group, however many hit writers or great writers that you know, you know who I'm bringing in is also going to be great. So just building that and, and kind of putting your stake in great songs and great writers and, and putting your head down and going after that. 
you're working with actually several women and several men, when you're booking them with artist co-writes, are you seeing any differences in the response that you're getting in the opportunities that you're getting for those for those writers? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there's definitely certain male artists who tend to gravitate toward male songwriters, um, which which is always a hiccup and a challenge. Um, that said, it, it again, I see that as an opportunity to build a relationship with the person I'm booking the co-write with and really understand that and try to sell my songwriter to them. Um, and I think that there's there are ways to get in that way. For instance, Lori McKenna can write writes with males just as often as she writes with females, and she obviously has a name in hits. But I think that because she didn't always, and because her songs were great, and because there was a lot of effort going into no, 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 she she can bring something to the table just as much as this person can bring something to the table. Y'all need to listen. Y'all hear me out here. Um, so advocating for them, you maybe need to do a little bit more advocating. Definitely, the eff- the effort is unfortunately sometimes needs to be extra, um, but. I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I want to go back to just quickly before we get too far away from it, because it was really something that I think is important for listeners to hear. Um, you mentioned you come from a very strong, um, assertive family, uh, people who are very used to hard work and getting things done. And it makes me wonder over your journey, what you've had to cultivate to be so confident in your job and your abilities. Um, because so much of, of doing this is also your personal confidence and your inner well and being able to draw from that when things are difficult, in addition to being able to deal with people and dynamics. So um, what are some things that you really are like, I've had to develop this or I've always had this and this is a big part of how I'm able to go about every day and be confident and do my job? Yeah, I think it it's all starts with the leadership I've had. I think from the get-go, I was treated like my, I bring something to the table. Um, so my when I said this would be a great song for this person, they were like, yes, it would run with it, you know? And and that they also would say, I'm thinking Frank Liddell and Matthew Miller was a mentor of mine at Carnival and Beth currently, they, they, they would introduce me to people and say, you need, you, you, they would advocate for me. You need to know her. She knows good songs. So I think that that really built my confidence and made me feel like, okay, like these people are, are big names and I respect them a lot. And they are fighting for me and believing in, in what I bring to the table. That's a big deal. I mean, there's a really big difference in being perceived as you don't really deserve to be here until you prove to me that you do. And you totally deserve to be here and just rock. And I believe in you. There's a really big difference in how that makes you feel and the kind of attitude that cultivates in, in a job. And I I think back on my history as a songwriter and the different situations that I've been in the different um, publishers I've been with. And, and it hasn't always felt like I was treated like, you deserve to be here. And having that um, 
being valued at that level as a baseline really changes your energy about your job and changes your productivity and it encourages you to really risk more and try more and um, like you said that the outgoingness that you have that enthusiasm that you have is a really big factor in your ability to do your job well and your ability to communicate across gender lines and across just completely different sociocultural lines. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And it's great that you've had that experience. Um, have you, I know you mentioned Beth, obviously, have there been other women in your background that have um, given you that support? It sounds like Frank also gave you that support. He did, yeah. And they've both introduced me to really great women. A couple stand out. Um, Cindy Foreman is a publisher I really admire. Uh, Robin Palmer is a publisher I really admire. Um, these are women who who just who all who who treated me today like they treated me the first day I met them, who have really great taste in songs, who have authority, but don't think too highly of themselves. I just think they have the right balance of all the right things. Um, they really, champion great songs and they they have an opinion and they have um an identity and and something about them um but they're also really kind and ready to help the next one in line um so i i've I've really appreciated working with them and i'm sure there's many others i can't think of on the spot but those are the kind of women that i gravitate toward um and it it sounds like also well sounds like and we all know that having that kind of attitude towards your writers your creatives the people on the industry side when it that type of attitude really trickles down to everybody and not even just being able to see what it looks like to be a strong compassionate leader but also to the analogy of children again if you have parents or publishers in a team that are very open and want to hear what you have to say and how you feel and want to include you in things it's going to make you a lot more open to share and there are so many creatives who don't feel like they have that ability with their team to be super honest and super open or like they're invited into the room and able to be a part of the discussion and agency in a career is really, really important, especially if you're an artist and trying to adhere to your authenticity. So it sounds like you've been really fortunate to be in offices and environments that are really conducive to that, despite the ups and downs of what the industry as a whole may be experiencing. And I'm able to, because I definitely have friends who aren't in those situations. Um, You just see I don't know, leaders who kind of only want you to get to a certain level because if you're too successful, then it's a threat. Instead of I see if if Alex on my team gets a cut, I'm like, heck yeah, I'm doing something right. And, the, you know, or it's not even on, all me, but we're, we're, we're doing something as a team together that, that's making a difference and we're getting our writers down the road. And at, at the end of the day, that's honestly all I care about. Um, that brings me to my, what I've found to be, the most valuable piece of advice I've gotten, and it's so not groundbreaking or or it's something you've heard a thousand times, but it's 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 check your ego at the door. <laughs> and when I when I've seen that, it's just the difference in happy, peaceful, excited, great leaders in the industry versus the people that you just don't want to be around, you know? Um, I remember at Carnival, the first time I ever really experienced this, um, I 
we get we had a catalog song cut that had been pitched a thousand times and and thankfully somebody you know heard it and or remembered it or what liked it played it for an artist and they cut it and the other, I remember talking uh, talking to the other publisher and being like, this is so exciting, you know? And I remember them being like, who pitched that? Did I pitch that? Did you pitch that? Let me... And I was just like, I remember like getting off the phone and like going to Frank and being like, dude, like what? It, like, I am just so excited about this song. I don't care who pitched it, you know? And he told me this and I feel like it's going to sound controversial at first, but bear with me because it's not in the end. He was like, people who have the, our job don't understand that they're replaceable. He's like, the songwriters, the musicians, the artists, they're bringing something unique to town, and it's our job to promote it and pitch it. And I, he's not, not saying at all, obviously, he didn't value me, and he thinks as a human I'm not replaceable. But, like, let's just hang our hat on what our writers are doing and getting them down the road instead of tallying our own personal victories. And again, I, I'm not saying you can't feel proud of that as as industry people and that you can't, you know, take pride in what you're doing and, and feel like you're contributing to something. But it, as we all know, there's a line that of, of being humble about it and a line of like, that's all you care about. Um, that, that it is when it, becomes unattractive and, and people don't want to work with that kind of people anymore. It allows you to participate in the team and the spirit of the team and to celebrate other people's successes like they're yours because they are yours. And um, yeah, there's I, I, I see that a lot when I look around in, in, in the industry. People really have trouble sometimes wrapping their heads around that and they feel like uh, someone taking advantage of an opportunity or someone having a success is somehow depriving them of their chance. And uh, what we don't realize is is opportunity creates more opportunity and success creates more success. Um, and if we can think about it that way, then it just kind of starts this wheel rolling for all of us um, together. Exactly. And how, ni- like, how nice is it to consider, oh, well, th- but I might have got this cut, but this person set up the co-write and my this person introduced me to the person who helped me cultivate the relationship with the person who cut the song you know who want who who advocated for the song at the label or whatever so it's just yeah again to have that mindset that that there's a whole lot of people working to get us down the road and, and let's see it as a team effort again be proud of of what you do but but in the end our goal is to get great music out there and get songwriters and artists and musicians down the road um and let's just focus on that well, and definitely celebrate celebrate your successes, and um, that that makes me think. I'm curious about how you um, you you mentioned earlier on when we were looking at some of the notes that you made prior to this interview. Uh, you were talking about developing timeless artists and songwriters in the world of social media and TikTok, where everything just kind of comes and goes. And so, can you talk about that a little bit and those challenges that you face there? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I am a, like a traditionalist, as y'all, as I was talking about earlier. I grew up listening to CDs and liner notes and all that kind of thing. So initially, social media kind of made me be like, ugh. Um, but now I see it. it it's it, you have to, at the core, have something different and unique and special that we think we can contribute to and get down the road. Um, That said, I do think these 
that TikTok and other social media outlets um, can be uh, tools to help you promote yourself and to get your name and, and your brand out there. So if if some I, I'm learning to not necessarily be turned off by the next person that comes out on TikTok, you got to prove more to me than that. But I, I, I'm realizing now that these people are using whatever they can to get their names out there. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a, a little realizing what your core values are, but also being open-minded to new uh, platforms and new ways to hear music. Well, and I love what you were talking about, um, about when you meet and you strategize and you have this sort of thinking about what you're going to do prior to doing it. Um, and, and that's super important about where are we aiming this ship and what are we trying to, what kind of career are we trying to create um, together? And it's because it's easy to get lost in the push and pull of the immediate response that you get in social media. And then you can find yourself suddenly, well, how did I get way over here when I was trying to go over there? And sometimes the ship doesn't even need to cross through social media for some some people and their trajectory and some people it's really vital for definitely it. definitely yeah so just kind of yeah finding the right path for those people and um uh yeah being open-minded and, and, and staying true to to your values and to what they want to do too you know it, it doesn't do us any good to sign mm-hmm. someone who's big on tiktok and has all these crazy numbers if, if we also aren't passionate about what they're doing um so it's a it's yeah. a team it's a two-sided coin there. Uh, you mentioned that you have uh, a child and another one on the way. And this is a business that can be so all consuming. And it's very difficult to to create and reinforce your boundaries around your personal life and business life. What would you say is your approach to ma- having balance in your life and avoiding burnout? Have you experienced burnout at all? Definitely, definitely. I, I don't know if y'all felt this way too. Uh, the first five years in the industry, I was out every single night of the week. And I loved it. I really did. Um, you're meeting people, you're getting to know artists and writers that are out there and, and really just kind of building your uh, your contacts. But I, it got to a point about five years in that, so I, I went to Belmont. All my friends were either songwriters or music business majors, got my job right out of college, Got went straight into it. And again, loved it for a while. But then I like took a step back and I was like, dude, I like beer and football and normal people. And I just like miss all of those things. <laughs> yeah. Like I started to like expand and go to other neighborhoods of Nashville and be like, wow, look at all that's out here. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Look at all these normal lives. Yes. So through a friend um, in the industry, I kind of started to dive into this friend group of people who weren't in the industry, and they were all playing in a kickball league together. And I was like, whatever. I don't know how good I am at kickball, y'all, but I just need to meet some people. Um, And that really was the start. I met my husband there, and that really was the start of, like, realizing how important it is to have – other interests and friends and get outside of it a little bit more because I was experiencing burnout. And then when I met my husband, got other friends and kind of established this new balance, it it made me so much more excited again about going to work because I knew that like I could also turn it off at the end of the day, you know? Um, So it was definitely a process, but I I encourage people to... uh, 
meet people, find an activity, a hobby, a church, whatever your thing is to meet some people outside of the industry and and just realize that there's a world out there we can get so consumed and everything's such a huge deal and we we can't turn it off and oh, I have to respond to this email and like it's fine. You can it can wait till tomorrow. It's really healthy to to have other outlets. When your passion, which is usually your hobby, becomes your career, then all of a sudden it can leave you with nothing else in your yes, life. So yeah, exactly. absolutely. One of my co-writers, Emily Shackleton, she has um, she she recently realized that about herself too, and she was like, "I need to do something else besides just music. All I do is music all the time, and think music, and and talk music, and write music." And um, she started to grow flowers. So she's growing these beautiful flowers, and she's got a little sort of kind of hobby flower business, flower arranging business on the side that she created from from this thought that I need to have something else in my life and it's just grown things for her so much and you can see a change in her as a human since she started this so are you still playing kickball are you still doing that I am not playing kickball my (laughs) husband had a serious knee injury and that we were kind of like okay that is the end of our intramural sports days hang up the kickball shoes yes Yes, exactly. But we have lots of friends that we made from that. Um, yeah. As a human, it's so helpful, but also, like, I bet it helps her creatively, too, to step away, and then you come back, and you're like, oh, I, like, you know, I've been using my brain in other ways, and it brings There's different- water in the well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think, too, because we have, like, a really great, on this podcast today, a really great, like, mix of each quote unquote like generation i just turned 25 emily you mentioned you're in your 30s vic you're in your 40s and it's like the perfect little step stool and i feel like watching you and listening to you guys talk just now i can see the the trickle down of the mentalities and the things that you and the women before you have had to figure out and gotten to figure out that like for me now in my mid 20s and all of my creator friends that are are writers and artists as well we talk so much more about mental health and burnout and about diversifying um every time me and my friends meet a new friend that's not in the industry we're like yes go us go you we love it tell me tell me about your nine to five tell me all about it and it feels very new and like such a privilege because we've all seen and heard the stories about people being taught that you have to go a million miles an hour until you burn out and then take 10 minutes and then go right back at it. And if you don't, you're going to, you know, just next in line. And it's so true that everyone is replaceable. So you have to keep your ego in check. But it's also like you also have to fill up that well. And so for for me, like I can see how the industry and the mentality has changed in such a healthy way. And especially with COVID, we've had so many conversations. I mean, Leslie Fram even was like, oh my gosh, COVID, I didn't even know how burnt out we were. And she was still going a million miles an hour, but taking time and we all found other hobbies and different things. And it makes me really excited for my generation and the next generations to come up and have more normalcy and more longevity in our careers and have less of that I think I just can't do it anymore because you lose so many really beautiful, important people if they just don't function quite the same way. That's true, Sarah. That's really like nobody ever had any sort of conversation with me about work-life boundaries or burnout 
and um until like years like like a decade and a half into my writing career and it got to the point where I would be getting in the car to go to another write when I'd already done you know five six seven that week and I'd be like crying in the car just talking out loud to nobody about I don't want to do this I don't I can't do this I can't do this you know and it's like you reach that breakdown point and you realize this is not the way that this is supposed to to work you know if you can't keep giving and not putting anything back in um there's just no way and in a business that mixes your creativity with the monetization of that creativity it can just harvest it out of you endlessly and and you have to be the one that creates those boundaries so um that's why i think it's so interesting emily your relationships with your writers and the conversations that you have with them like do you do you talk with them about the pacing of their songwriting, the pacing of their career, that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. It's part of our meeting. So as I mentioned earlier, we meet at the end of every year and then we do a mid-year check-in and then uh, just to like go over those goals. Um, And then obviously we're talking all the time anyway. But part of those conversations is what's your ideal? How many days a week do you want to write? You know, and for most of them, it's two to three days a week. Um... So a couple of them like to write more than that. I think I think it's like where you're at in your career too. Um, I but I think there's a element to they want like it's flexing the muscle every day type thing, you know. Um, but I definitely encourage take a week off every now and then. You know, don't be afraid to take a vacation. And no, it feels like you're gonna miss. You're not gonna miss. It's all gonna be here when you get back. You know. So I think that that the ones who uh, I think that the two to three days, okay, I'm going to maybe even take a month off in the summer, that that's, that's a really healthy balance. That's um, amazing. I mean, yeah. I had my first child and was um, put the child into daycare three days a week so I could write three days a week and was told that was not enough and that it needed to be more. And um, and that balance is just so crucially important because if you're going to have longevity in the business and build the kind of career that's like a Laurie McKenna or a Barry Dean career, then you need to be able to keep giving year after year and, and you got to keep that well replenished all the time. So I think it's fantastic that you're having those conversations. Definitely. Because as you all know, that. Even the greatest writers in town, the most successful writers don't write great songs every time they write. So it's kind of like, let's let's save our ideas and, and not try to just every day have to pound something out. Let's like really make it matter and be strategic and be excited about going into the room instead of feeling like I have to do this today, you know. That mentality makes me so happy. Just even just hearing you say like two, three days a week is is the norm for you guys. Because um, when I started out, when I moved to Nashville, I started out in LA when I was like 14. So when I moved to Nashville, I worked in the industry side for about a year and met um, a really successful older guy like in the industry. And his thing was still very the old school. And he would always tell writers a song a day, a song a day, a song. And I was like, even then I'm like, that sounds like such dedication, but I could not do that. I I can't do that. That's too much. And I feel like I would just be rewriting things. It would be mediocre at best. I wouldn't have any time to do anything else. And hearing the way that that has also evolved in our industry, it's, it's also so interesting. And I wonder 
how much you've seen of different genres because Creative Nation and your roster is very country based. We're based in Nashville, but Cassie and even like Luke and a lot of the other people, they pull from hip hop and pop and like all of these different areas. And I wonder how much it or if at all you've seen a difference in the way things work between different genres because Vic focuses on country. Um, I am a pop K-pop sync person. That is my wheelhouse. Um, But I started out in country and we've interviewed so many different people and your roster is really unique in how they mix genres. Do you get to see much of other genres or does that kind of is it does it focus on yeah country I'm for you? we definitely I'm exposed to it and can do as much or as little of of the pop booking as I want I will say as y'all know what I grew up on I grew up on country music and that's my wheelhouse um thankfully again this is like all credit to Beth and her strategic hiring but we when we hired Alex Tamashunas who's also on our team she loves pop and sync, so we cover a lot of ground together. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm on those emails, and there are some meetings that I'm like, hey, I feel like you should take this, but I want to be there too because I want I don't want to just say I'm the country girl and and not be aware of what's going on. Um, but I def it's nice that we definitely can have our own roles um, while being filled in on what each other is doing. I feel like that speaks volumes and really punctuates how they hire someone who's really passionate about everything but also you all checking your ego at the door and being like I this is not my wheelhouse but I want to be involved and like you and do you're your so good at this really yes cool. teach teach me you know give me the 101 course yeah. and I'll do the same um but like also run with it um you've been I mean it's a pretty impressively long career already for how young you are um what are you seeing in terms of how things are changing or have changed through the time that you've been doing what you do are are things shifting for women are things shifting in other ways can you talk about that a little bit yeah oh my gosh it's so different I was actually I've been thinking about this over the past week how I started interning in 2008 and I got my first job in 2009 and just I think I don't I think iTunes was in 2010 so that was like the first big shift and then came like Apple Music and Spotify and streaming. So it's just, just been very different throughout all of that. Um, so, so rolling with those punches and just kind of learning how to navigate developing songwriters and artists with all those changes. I, I, in the moment, it didn't seem like... It, I remember when iTunes came, it was kind of like, what is this? Um, but looking back, I was like, wow, that was like a, lo- a lot of changes over all the years that I've been in the industry. Um, is it shifting, do you think, for women? I think that, yes, actually, I think it's... It was bad for women for a while, as y'all know. Um, but I think that it that it is shifting. I'm seeing more really great female artists being signed and getting a seat at the table. Like getting, the, I was so pumped about the Lainey Wilson ACM wins this year. Um, I just think she is awesome and and, and really well respected. Um, so to see. Her and and even in in my own personal experience, Haley's career because I worked so cl- Haley Witters, I worked so closely with her for for a long time and and to see a lot of doors that you bang on and bang on and bang on and it doesn't happen and but to see 
where that got her and the stamina it gave her and the confidence she has in herself because of all of that. Um, it sucks the period that we went through, but I think we, um, I, I don't even know if we're better for it on the other side, but like, you know, we are more determined we are coming out stronger than <laughs> yes. ever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think it's awesome. I think it's really great. And I think there are so many, I could tell y'all like, so many great female artists that I'm excited about right now. Um, so just the fact that they are like just as much a part of the conversation, seemingly, I think, I think radio and label wise, it needs to catch up, but publishers are often the first ones to, uh, develop and get to know these, the, the younger artists coming to town and there's some badass females. So in the next few years, I think that we're going to, we're going to have a major shift. We'll see the wave come through. Yeah, come through the labels to radio. Yes, it's our time. Amazing. That's exciting. Um, should we go into our rapid fire questions then? I think that's a perfect place to start. Okay, let's do it. Um, let's see. Uh, if you could ask God or the universe or your higher self, whatever you want to call it, a question, what would it be? Uh, I keep going back to like my my grandparents who have passed and like, can I talk to them or, you know, like, what are they doing? Like, I, I, I'm a Christian, so I think I'm going to get to see them again one day, but just, yeah, like what I think just what's it like, you know, what are they doing and what's it like there? And is it as good as I, it's just really hard to, to, to picture. Are they all hanging out together? Right. Uh, (laughs) You know? Yes. Um, Yeah. All right, if you could clone yourself and live a totally different life, what would the other you be and do? I am obsessed with food and cooking. Um, so I think something, I think like Ina Garten. Oh. Like I, I don't, I don't, I know. I don't necessarily think I'd like want to like be a chef because again, work-life balance, you don't, I don't feel like you My get mom's that. a chef. Yeah. Amazing. It's, oh my gosh. It's a lot. It's a lot. But yeah, the. Yeah. So hard. Be the, be the Ina Garten. Yes. And I'm not saying, I'm sure Ina had years that she had to, but like the specialty food store in the Hamptons that she owned for forever you know just sounds so dreamy and her show and I just feel like she's a very mentally healthy person and uh, yeah just if I could if I could clone myself and be on a garden that would be awesome yeah what kind of what kind of chef is your mom so my mom she's a regular chef but she specialized in French pastries so I grew up in wine country in northern California and she owned a French patisserie for like 30 years so Every time I go home, I just like come back the Pillsbury Doughboy, but like the croissant. Whatever. Girl. Yeah. Um, I know, right? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I'm not complaining. <laughs> What's one thing that people don't know about you? Well, my best friends know this, but I'm very untrendy. Like, I don't know anything about celebrities, pop culture, anything. I went to the Grammys for the first time this year. So did I. Um, <laughs> did you? Yeah. Hooray. That's Amazing. Cool. And I brought. I brought one of my good friends as as my date, and um, I mean, the number of times I was like, "Who's that? Who's that? Who's that?" Like, I just don't know. And you'd think I work in entertainment, and I would, but like, I kind of know what I know, and and, and musically, I'm a little bit better. Um, but like movies, y'all, I fall asleep during movies. People ask me about movies. I'm like, no, I like, I just like pop culture is not my thing. I love the Food Network. I love reading and cooking and my little 
backyard and sitting and picking at my flowers and I'm a little bit of an old lady. That sounds way more healthy. <laughs> sounds way more yeah. healthy. <laughs> I feel yeah, like it's kind of nice too because you don't fangirl and for the really cool big people it's it's kind of like oh she's chill and you don't even know you're being chill. Totally. You're just like nice to exactly. meet you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because you don't know who they are. Yeah. Yes. That used to be me. <laughs> yeah. What do you that do? Was, <laughs> still is me but I've had so many experiences in town here where I'll be like, oh, hey, what do you do? And someone comes up to me and is like, they just wrote like the number one. I was like, I don't know who they are. I'm so <laughs> sorry. That but is then, so something I would do. Oh. But hey, if you've checked your ego at the door, you don't care. Like you kind of find Absolutely. that endearing. One of my favorite things at the Grammys was we were sitting up in the nosebleed seats and we were like, we're just going to talk to everyone around us and see what's up and what they're, if they're having fun. And, you know, we just started conversations. And next thing I know, I'm having a conversation with um, with the girl who won a classical vocal Grammy on one side of me, someone who was up for the New Age Grammy as a harpist on the other side of me, someone who produced the Justin Bieber Peaches record in front of me, and this badass chick who was a mixing engineer on the Her record and the John Batiste record, and she ended up winning her first Grammy when John Batiste won Album of the Year, no and way. we were all like freaking out, Woo! and we videoed her, and it was like the coolest thing, just like nobody had an ego and yes. maybe it was, we were all sitting up at the very top you know yes, <laughs> that's that. amazing I'm, that's amazing so cool that like all those different like, you all got to like come together and, and meet each other yeah, and, that was one you of know. my favorite things about the that whole experience amazing. and then you saw Doja Cat and then I saw Doja you're just Cat. like right at the end you're like great way to end the night at the after party <laughs> <laughs> all right um what is your favorite thing about yourself um I think my ability to talk to anyone um, and see value in everyone. Again, with the way I grew up, my family being from really different sides of ever of of the way my parents grew up. They divorced in there when I was young, but they're very different political sides of the aisle. Very different religious beliefs all over my family. Very different upbringings. Like I. I love them all. Um, so I, my friends are always like, dude, how, you can talk to any. Um, and I, I think I've learned to value that over the years because I really just see people as people and everyone has a story and it's valuable. And um, yeah, I love people. If you could go back in time and talk to the younger version of you, what advice would you give yourself? Um, celebrate every milestone along the way. Um, I just, I was just talking about this with my coworkers, but, um, that you often are so you're chasing the next bar and you're chasing the next bar and you're chasing the next bar that you kind of like take time to like, you don't take time to step back and, and look and think, Hey, five years ago, I would, or 10 years ago, I would have killed to be where I am now, you know? So while you do always want to keep getting better, I think like, taking a breath and, and taking a moment to take it all in and appreciate where you are at and how far you've come um, is really important to what we do. And doing that with your team too is super important. Yes. I love that. And it just strengthens your your bonds with each other. And like I was telling a, a student, I teach at Belmont and I was telling a student the other day, 
if you look back on your life when you're, you know, on your deathbed as a songwriter, it's not what you're not going to remember the red carpet walks or the, you know, getting the award. It's going to be the people that you got to do it with, you know, and and those that's what that's the important stuff is that those relationships that you form along the way and how much fun you have doing it. It's so so true. It's so true. I was hanging out with some of my friends last night who I've been friends with for years and we've just been through it all together. And I mean, just talking back, laughing about the days that when you're super broke and you can't pay anything, but you also like are out every night and you're having so much fun and you're just carefree and bulletproof. And like, I don't know, there's something to be said for those years too. Like there, as as much as I don't want some of that back, it it really is just a part of the journey and, and really special when you look back on it yeah that's great that's a perfect yeah that's great well i feel like we could all just hang out forever um but i guess we need to wrap it up but that was awesome thank you so much emily that was fantastic to stay up to date on all things the table on social media join us on instagram facebook or twitter at the handle at sign the table women Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on The The Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you.